0: Hey everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm so excited today to bring you a new episode. Robin Boyd has the day off, and we're here today with Dr. Jessica Strong. Now, she's part of Blue Star Families, and she's also an Army spouse. She has three children. She's currently stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and we're going to talk about a very difficult topic today, but one that has affected my family recently, which is veteran suicide. And as we talk about it today, we're going to attend to all members of the veteran community, because we did a show, Jessica, a couple years ago on veteran suicide, and some of the criticisms were all of the material was geared towards our young vets, you know our our eighteen to thirty five year old vets, and not really our middle aged veterans or our elderly veterans and Unfortunately, suicide is affecting all of those groups of people, not just one so i 'm so excited to have you here today and hear your opinions and help us maybe recognize some of the signs that can help us help our veterans and their spouses and their parents and their children along the way. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I do appreciate the opportunity to
1: talk about this in- incredibly important topic. So I come with a, a PhD in social work and all, all of that background, but I also worked for a little while as a crisis consultant for mental health, for adolescents in mental health crisis. And what that, what that translated to is I would be the person they would call when a Teenager, adolescent comes in and often has suicidal thoughts or has had a suicide attempt. So I have a little bit of experience on the cl- little bit of experience on the clinical side as well. Um, so that's one of the reasons I find this topic so very important. I know, as you mentioned, we tend to think of our younger returning veterans, the 18 to 35 year old veterans who are returning from uh, particularly those who are returning from combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, when we think about veteran suicide. But that is, it's certainly not a, a, an issue a crisis that is limited to that group. Um, there are, I mean, it affects people across all socioeconomic status across all age groups um, older veterans especially um, as well as younger veterans and it also impacts not just the veterans but veteran spouses it impacts active duty service members and active duty spouses as well one of the things that i found most interesting in some of the research that blue star families is doing is that the the percentage of spouses who had suicidal thoughts in the past year was the same as the percentage of uh, uh, so service members who had had suicidal thoughts, so it is higher in veterans, but it still persists at a at a low level for those other populations as well
0: well, and I think that's interesting that you know when you said the spouses have the same maybe ideation or they have the same level um so do you think that and i know you know this is just speculation but is that because of the unique stressors found by the military family i mean it is really difficult you know multiple moves it changing all the time not having a voice a lot of times
1: i i mean i agree that that those are certainly risk factors. And one of the challenges of studying suicide is that there is no clear um, prescription that tells you this is somebody who is at significant risk of of suicide. There are risk factors, but there's no precise combination of things that tell you that this person is is really at risk. We know some things that put people at risk are social isolation or a lack of social support which is something you can run into when you are moving frequently and having to pick up and um, rebuild your social networks and connections every time you move so we know that that can be a risk factor we also know things like um, and that impacts veterans as well i mean they may not be moving but they if they're experiencing that same social isolation and, and lack of social support they're they're equally at risk
0: well, and I think it's difficult because you go, I have two kids. You have three kids. They're completely different. My one kid loved moving. He thought it was a new adventure. Every time was wonderful. My other one hated it. He missed his friends. He likes his routine. So, you know, you have within this kind of external structure of, of um, conditions, you have all these different personalities and you have not only the different personalities, but you have people who do better or worse over time. I mean, if you have walked this earth more than 25 years, you know, you're going to have good years and bad years. So if you're just coming off a divorce versus somebody who's, you know, just got married, you could have the same personality type, but be in two really different significant conditions. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. I mean, it, it's rely it is dependent on so many different things that you you can't account for all of them. It can be the external conditions of moving. It can be the external conditions of coming back from a deployment or going through a, a rough patch in your significant relationship with another person. Um, or it can be the, those internal characteristics that you have. The people who are extroverted are going to have an easier time making connections with with new people when they move or or reaching out to somebody when they need some support than somebody who's very introverted. They're going to have a harder time doing that. So it's both those, the external factors as well as the internal characteristics that people bring that can put them more or less at risk.
0: Well, and I think that's what makes it such a sneaky issue. You know, we have, we just don't have, there's some warning signs, but I can tell you, I have had um, in my immediate sphere of influence, we've had two young men, um, both Marines, Both take their life, uh, 19 and 23, different parts of the country, one here in California, one in North Carolina. And when we were all talking after the fact, it was the questions. It was the confusion. It was the Mm -hmm. like, what is really going on here? And I think that's the most terrifying part of it is there's not always big signs.
1: Uh, Absolutely. It's very scary to know that, um, especially the conversations after the fact, like what why didn 't I see what what could I have done differently and it's it 's easy for us, especially as women and as moms, to take that on ourselves and say, "Well, I could have done something different or I could have done something better or I could have I take that um, piece of uh, ownership of it but the the truth is we don't have that that much control over others. We can offer our support, but we can't uh, control other people's behavior so things that you can there are signs and things that you can look for I keep talking about risk factors if you have seen if you see um, somebody withdrawing when they used to be pretty outgoing or they used to be able to connect to others pretty easily if you uh, legal trouble or financial trouble or significant relationship trouble all of those things can put somebody at greater risk Um, those smaller signs are things like if they start behaving differently than they have before it could be them withdrawing or it could be them um, behaving, suddenly acting as though they're happier than they were, as, as though they've made a decision about how they're going um, to resolve the problems that they, they consider themselves having. So it's looking for those, those little signs as well as paying attention for the big red flags.
0: Well, and, you know, we know that every deployment is different, you know, and that's another thing. And people grow up in different ways and they grow up at different rates. And when you have somebody who's 19, 20, second deployment might be 25, you know, it's hard to know where where does one end and one begin because you have experiences, you know, you have, you know, we all talk about the new normal and how we're getting new normals all the time. Um, But watching your child in particular, we're gonna talk about, you know, people do go through stages they go through phases they go through these things and so if you're kind of spidey sense or your red flag is going up that something's not right or you're worried about something what next you know what what do you do, especially as a mom you've got you know you're you've got you know one or two or sometimes three members of your family serving could be multi generational service, which happens a lot in the family and you're the mom and you're worried about your son what do you do that's a hard circumstance to be in
1: I know especially if you're a parent and you're not living anywhere near that particular that that child or that service member. It is really worrisome to be from a distance recognizing that your your child may have a concern and you can't be there to help
0: Jessica, I'm just going to stop you for a second because I really want to thank our sponsor today. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends, and they have sponsored our show all year long. So we really appreciate that. And, you know, we're talking today about connection and, you know, handling some of these day to day worries that we have as military families. And, you know, one of the things that I find, you know, like at certain moments when I'm really stressed out, if I'm really upset, if I'm really Really, just not handling things well, I can take a little brain break. I can take an emotional break. And one of the things that Best Fiends does for me, and you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play, Best Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. You can take a break from everything. You can step back and play a few levels and kind of reset. And that's how I use it. When I've had enough, when I'm, you know, kind of up to here, taking care of my veteran dad, taking care of my two kids as a single mom, working full time, I can pick up my phone and I can play Best Fiends. And... There's cute little music. They cheer for you. It totally changes my state. I go from frustrated, upset, and angry to, oh my gosh, I just saw this level. I feel good. The music, the lights, the the characters are cute. It it literally takes me out of my bad move. And it's one of those little kind of can't put it down mobile puzzle games. And they have over 100 million downloads and counting. And it's free to download. It has literally millions of five-star reviews on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And you can defeat these slugs and that's that's one of the things <laughs> Jessica I like to do I like to beat up the slug because I can beat up the slug and then come back to my work come back to my kids come back to my dad come back to my life and I feel like I've had this little vacation break so and you don't have to worry about the fun running out because there's five thousand levels in counting you're so not going to be um, bored or routine with this and the music completely changes your state it puts me in a good mood every time so So go ahead and download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And, you know, we're talking about some ways that we can connect and communicate with our service members when they might not be in the greatest place. So, um, Jessica, let's talk about that. What are some other things that we can do and be aware of? First of all,
1: getting your responses and your reactions in under control and in, and in perspective is going to be the first step because you can't, the, we go to that airline mask, um, the oxygen mask thing. We can't help them if we're all escalated ourselves and all upset ourselves. So our first step is to get ourselves under control and recognize that this is, if this is scary, it's, it is uh, difficult to go through. Uh, but in order to bring my best self and to help the best way I can, I need to get my reactions and my responses under control. So that's, I think, the first thing that moms need to do is get ourselves situated before we respond rather than react. The next thing I think would it, that's important is making sure that this person has, um, your your child, If you, if you feel like they're struggling, has some... Social support has somebody to check in on them. Has a friend or a somebody even in their um, in their neighborhood or their um, proximity who can just stop in and say, "How are you doing? Just wanted to check up on you and see how you were, see how you were, how you're feeling." So, yeah, some like, of
0: that support. Let's just dial back for a minute and talk about the support that 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 our moms can use. Can they call any of these helplines if they're Worried about their child, their especially their active duty or their veteran child, can they call one of these crisis helplines, or is that just for people who are in crisis for themselves? Like, what what defines a crisis?
1: That's a really good question. That was one of those, that's one of those existential questions. (laughs) You're like, okay, what is, is this a crisis or not a crisis? It depends. That's always the answer, right? It depends um, on your perspective. If you're viewing this as a crisis, to you, it's a crisis. You're going to respond to it as if it's a crisis. Your physiological uh, reactions to it will be as though it's a crisis. So, if, if you're asking whether you can call a crisis line as a parent or a, a family member, you, you certainly can, you can call the veterans crisis line. Uh, and it, it may feel, it may feel challenging because there's nothing that you can do in that moment. Um, and that is, is hard because we want to be able to take an action and solve the problem right now. Sure. And we can't, it's, that's not a something that we can do, but you can, get some help for yourself uh, to talk through some of these how this is uh, how you're reacting to this information as well as um, getting some resources set up for your your child or your service member.
0: Well and I think that's really important because I don't think a lot of people would think to call a crisis line when they're worried about their kid they would think oh the kid's supposed to call like (laughs) you know and yes that is true but when you talk about you know getting yourself under control or getting yourself regulated you know, if we could do those on our own, we would. So it's for when we're having trouble, you know, regulating ourselves or figuring these things out or, and I think just the process of a parent calling a crisis line and getting resources and getting information, you're right. It puts a little bit of control back in their hands. That there is somewhere to go, there is somewhere to ask, and that can cause the parent to be much calmer in the interaction with the with the adult ch- child service member. But it would also work for the spouses too, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, um,
1: particularly especially so. And I know that um, spouses. If they're, consider- if they're having thoughts of suicide or having thoughts of harming themselves, certainly, I mean, call the crisis line. That's, what they're, that's the whole point of them being there. Um, and there are lots of other resources that are available, particularly for spouses of service members or service members themselves or veterans themselves. Things like the Cohen Veterans Network is set up to, to do just that. So there's, there certainly is help available when you 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 said it so nicely when you are able to, when you want to regulate yourself and you can't regulate yourself if um helping you get down from that hyper um dysregulated state
0: right right because you're not going to do any good for anybody flipping out like flipping out on the phone like if you're a spouse or your service member or even your parent you know if you're worried about the parent like if you're not in a good place you're not in a good place to help anybody so to help yourself first so that you can come with your like first line of defense you can have all this information at your fingertips you know that's one of the things that i would have liked to have which is you know hey here are some things we can do not mm-hmm. just oh my god oh my god oh my god like yeah. that's not going to help anybody like <laughs> right having having some
1: resources in your pocket or something to be able to offer whether that is counseling resources or just like sitting down and talking and connecting with somebody or one of the things that is is really important, particularly for veterans, is having that sense of purpose or having a sense of meaning. So that that can be one thing that is lacking after they leave military service, and especially if after they've come back from a deployment, they had this sense of camaraderie, this sense of purpose. We're all working on this same mission together. And when that's gone, that can leave a bit of a a bit of a void, and we're trying to regain that sense of purpose. There are lots of ways to do that. There are organizations that can help uh, help veterans recreate that sense of purpose whether it's Team Red White and Blue or whether it's Travis Mannion Foundation or some of these other MSOs and VSOs that um, sorry military serving and veteran serving organizations that can help bring veterans and and people who care about veterans back together so that they can um, provide that sense of purpose and continue doing the good work and service that they do.
0: Right. And I think that's like super important. And it's as equally important for the spouse that is receiving the service member home, because just like there's the camaraderie and the, 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 you know, setup up and the purpose in, you know, when the active duty service members over serving, but the spouse back home is kind of doing their own similar parallel thing. They have their friendships in place. They have their, their systems in place. They have, have, you know, carpool set up, they have all these things that need to be done, and they might be a working mom, and they might be used to be going out to dinner and getting a babysitter and having girls night and things like that, that help them cope while the service member is away. But then when the deployment ends, and now we have like re-entry into the family, and this is where I thought it was very um, telling that you said, you know, kind of suicidal thoughts are kind of equal for both military spouse and the military service member. Look at the adjustment coming home to the family you know the kids have to adjust the, the spouse that's been handling everything like a single parent the whole time all of a sudden now everything has to shift and this is where we get into those like micro new normals you know everybody gets the new normal you move from base to base but what about the normal that changes when your spouse goes away for x amount of months and then comes back in and you've got your routine set
1: Mm -hmm. where then
0: does like the fun begin like (laughs) yeah (laughs) these are you have your way
1: of you have your way of cleaning the kitchen and that's how the kitchen is supposed to be cleaned and then when you have to adjust and reintegrate they don't do it the same way that you do it they don't parent the kids the same way that you parent the kids there there are those those mini those uh mini conflicts that occur over every little thing and that's anytime you have a transition in the family there's always an adjustment period Um, and that adjustment I mean it could it could go well it could not go well but there's there's lots of those little pieces that have to shift and each one of those pieces that has to shift um, can can cause a problem or um, it may not.
0: Right. And you have, you know, you have your community, like one of the things that I experienced was in the community when, when you have the spouse on deployment, we kind of all have our carpool things set up. We have childcare set up. We have, you know, all the sharing set up and then a spouse comes back and now there's a wrench in the monkey works because you would like to think like, oh, well now there's two people to help, but it really doesn't work that way. It's like the, the person gets pulled out of the initial system that was working for childcare for for soccer practice all these things and it's stressful on the kids too like it's not just the parent the returning spouse or the active duty service spouse it's stressful on everybody
1: agreed yeah it's an adjustment for the entire family no matter what that family looks like so it's it's a point and it's an inflection point it's something where you could do really well or some somewhere where you might need some supports to to continue doing well
0: Right. Absolutely. And then let's talk about some of the single family households, because this is something that I've seen coming in my inbox a lot more than not, which is you've got single parents serving and grandparents are taking care of the children during deployment And then mom or dad, or sometimes both on my street, we have a husband and wife, both served, both deployed. The grandparents came in to take the kids, take care of the kids. And it was interesting because it was one parent's father and one parent's mother that moved into the house. Because I drive by that house going, how do I not hear screaming? And they have four boys. So, you know. Oh, my Lord.
1: Oh How, right?
0: I mean, but the, this is the reality of the military family and you have another stressor that comes in when you come back, who's been parenting the kids? Was it your parents? Was it your spouse? Was it an aunt or uncle? And now those kids who are used to listening to auntie or uncle or grandma and grandpa, all of a sudden now dad's home or mom's home. And now you've got like, these are big stressors.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the the rules that were in effect before but maybe nobody enforced for a little bit while you were gone suddenly now they're back <laughs> in effect and um that's kind of a a bit of a whiplash for for the kids. Um particularly during during COVID, I mean, we there are lots of military families where the both both uh parents, if there are two parents, are are career have a career that they're trying to engage in, whether that is dual military career or whether that is military and some other career. I know I have um, had conferences to go to or something it's some business trip that I had to go on when my spouse is deployed and who do I call to come watch the kids while I'm going to be gone for this business trip or I'm going to be out of the out of town for a little bit. It's going to be the the parents, the military parents, the grandparents who come in and, and provide that support. But now, during during COVID, that travel is, is a little bit more restricted, and we, uh, you know, that where there are concerns about exposing grandparents to the risk of illness if they were to come and provide some of that support. So there's all of these different variables to take into consideration, um, and all of those things can impact first how the service member deploys, but also how they return.
0: Right. Absolutely, and the spouse you know, the spouse and the parents, you know, we talk about isolation being one of the factors for, um, you know, like one of the things to look for with suicide. Well, now we're all isolated. So, you know, we're forced to be isolated. So how do we know if someone is more isolated than not? I mean, yes
1: or no. Yes, yes and no is what I'm trying to say there is. So when when COVID, COVID first happened and everybody was, isolating in their homes, and we're all suddenly moving to um, tele telecommuting and doing all of our work remotely, and kids are doing work work remotely, and people are connecting with one another, having baby showers and and family parties via Zoom. I, I thought, wow, this is something that military families are really made to do. We've been doing this forever. Right. Um, so we're well suited uh, to this isolation, but not isolation. It is physically distancing, but not necessarily um, socially or psychologically distancing. We are still trying to socially connect with one another. We're just doing it in a physically distant way, which is something that military families have had to do ever because they relocate so frequently for the entire length of their military career. So in some ways, military families are really well suited to to sharing those tips and tricks that they're learning with uh, non-military families as they're adjusting to this new normal of COVID and social distancing.
0: Well, and I love that because one of the things that I love most about the military family is just their resiliency. You know, you can run into somebody 20 years later and be in a meeting and watch the way a lot of times that they they handle things. And, you know, when you start talking to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I was a Navy brat. Oh, I was an Army brat. Oh, I was, you know, this, that, and the other thing, because resiliency is part of the military family from day one. You know, when one serves, the whole family serves. And, you know, as much as there's a lot of specific issues that hit the military family, one of the big positives of that is the resiliency, which is your ability to react and adjust to events. I mean, don't you think so? Oh, yeah. Um, we've done,
1: at Blue Star Families, we do the Military Family Lifestyle Survey, and we've looked at a lot of different factors that help support military family resilience and we know that one of those things is going to be your ability to adapt your flexibility it's called cognitive flexibility and it's your ability to look at things in a different way and say okay that didn't work out like i thought it was going to work out what could what do i do now like how do i switch this around to still meet the goal that i want to meet even though it didn't go exactly like i thought it was going to so there are those individual characteristics that that you build over time because you're kind of forced to build them over time with all of the the stressors that you get are 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 uniquely dealing with as a military family there are those those family level characteristics that help you like the more everybody knows their role and responsibility in their family and the and the the more clearly communicated that is the better the family does whether it's uh, during deployment or in reintegration if if a kid knows that their job is to empty the dishwasher, regardless of whether Dad is here or not here, that's that provides that little some, little bit of familiarity and consistency and yeah. stability and stability, yeah, so all that's a great excuse for me to make sure that they do their chores. like this is good for you. <laughs> it gives you stability and consistency. Yeah I gotta empty the dishwasher
0: whether whether Dad is home or not home. Well, and it's important, you know, it's important that we we look at creating stability where we can. Now, with respect to, you know, let's we talk back to veteran suicide with some of these things. Wouldn't you say that when these systems start breaking down, when, when someone's not participating in the structure that was set up for the family dynamic, that could be a red flag?
1: Mm-hmm, Um. Some, sometimes it can be. And that's what's so challenging about um, military suicide is that it can, on, on the surface, it can look like, well, they spend so much time helping other people and they're really supportive of others. I didn't know that there was anything wrong. I didn't, under, I didn't realize that there was, that person was having an issue. So people can keep it hidden really well. Um, but being, being on the lookout for those things, like changes in behavior, mm-hmm. um, can, can help. You can say, hey, you just don't seem the way, you don't seem to be acting like you normally are. What's going on? Is there something wrong? Is there something you want to talk about? Um, just engaging in that conversation.
0: And what if, what if they say, like? and this is the one thing that was expressed to me with one of my family members, is what if they say, I don't know? Something's wrong, but I don't know, you know, because let's, let's be, let's be honest. Like you don't go into the military because you're touchy feely, you know, so right. being in touch with your emotions and understanding what's really going on with you emotionally isn't exactly a strong point for, you know, service. So it's not unreasonable for people to have the answer. I don't know.
1: Oh, and that's, that's true for everybody. Not just service members, not just uh, people of one gender or another. I think it's very, it's very true that we can be upset or B, um, feel some kind of way and don't really know why we feel that way. We just know that that is what that feeling is. And we may not even be able to put it in words. Like just, I can't feel anything right now. Like all I feel, I'm either angry or I'm sad or I feel nothing or nothing. All of the, or nothing. That sense of, sense of numbness, is a, that's also an issue. So it, and they may be reluctant to talk to a mental health, clinician or a therapist about it. And and that's fine. Sometimes it does reach that level where, okay, we need to have a professional come in, a clinician come and talk to you. But a lot of times it's just, uh, okay, well, I'm here. I'm going to keep checking in on you. Um, if you figure out what it is, tell me, we can talk about it. If you don't figure out what it is, I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to take you out for coffee and I'm still going to um, spend some time with you and just check in on you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay if you don't know exactly what it is. We'll figure it out.
0: Well, and I think that's so important because it's so, these are really tough conversations to have. You know, if you have an open, easy relationship, sure, that's fine. But if you have somebody who is very closed off, who's very buttoned up and tight, then opening that conversation is really difficult, especially if your communication hasn't been the greatest lately, which I'm guessing probably is. Because if you had great communication, you would know what was going on. So, you know, when you get stonewalled or you get the, you know, nothing's going on or I'm fine. You know, yeah, that, that's I'm fine. Those are the hard ones.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be I'm um, and you have to recognize that there are like like I was saying earlier, there are limits to what you can do. You want to do everything that you can do, especially as a parent, to make sure that you are setting them up for success and you're offering all that you can do and, and recognize that ultimately it doesn't fall to you. You can do everything right and it still it still may not end up the way you want it to be. Conversely, you can make a lot of mistakes and it can still end up just fine. So you, I think the, the major point there, the, the most important thing is to make sure that they know that somebody is there and somebody cares about them and somebody is looking for them and paying attention to how they're doing.
0: Well, and I think a lot of it is giving, hopefully giving them a platform to find some relief because when you you know when you get to this point um and having these thoughts and these considerations it's because it's becoming intolerable right yep and say that there
1: this doesn't have to be that this way i know it feels like it has to be this way but it doesn't have to and there it's there's no quick fix but there is a way for it to feel better
0: mm-hmm. Right. And it's not always going to be like this. I think that's the most important thing that we can share today is that thoughts change all the time and feelings change. You know, how you feel about something, how you think about something, you know, like I was listening to my son the other day, swear up a blue streak. And I came in there all ready to yell at him because we are a non profanity household. Like, you know, and I got teen boys, I get it. Like, they're going to, but he was really, you know, swearing a blue streak. And, you know, my dad lives with us and he's a veteran and he's 86 and he's got his hearing aids now, so he's going to hear everything. So, you know, I go running upstairs and I'm ready to, like, light into him for being, like, potty mouth Joe. And he had dropped this huge thing for his lizard tank on his foot. Oh, and it so yep. all of a sudden, the feelings that I had rushing up there, this is why I want to use this example. I was rushing up the stairs ready to light into him. You're being disrespectful. You know, we don't talk this way because I imagined him to be on his PlayStation. You know what I mean? With his buddies being like big Joe Loudman. yeah, yeah, like show it off for his friends, yeah, and- exactly, so I'm all already going up there now. here's my thoughts, and here's my feelings, my response, and I walk in there, and he's holding his foot, and his you know lizard tank is on its side, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like let me see your foot thinking he cut off his toe, maybe he broke a bone, you know those tanks are heavy, and he was trying yeah. to move it to vacuum, is he okay, oh my goodness, yeah, oh. I, you know. I'm like and okay. so you're Worst your father whole- ever. Your whole
1: response shifted just based on one new piece of information. That is a perfect example.
0: One little piece of information. I went from railing mom to concerned mom. I went from feeling angry to feeling compassion and a little bit of fear for his foot. And yes, everything's fine.
1: Okay. I was going to ask that. That was going to be my next thing. But I think every every parent can relate to that where we're like you hear the crash and you come out and you're ready to come <laughs> on oh, okay. And then they, they hurt themselves or something happened and you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. Everybody first, are you okay? Right now, now let's talk about what happened to make this crash happen <laughs> and how we can prevent that in the future. <laughs> but right. first, you but, know, your attitude shifts so quickly right. um, and,
0: and we so- forget that that happens. Right. And so we when we know that we can remind our family members too, who are really in a dark space that these things will pass. Like it's this isn't not forever. It's not permanent. Because I think that's the one thing that I wish if I could have said anything to one of my friends' kids, would be that this stuff happens. You will get over it. You'll get beyond it, and you know there's kind of light at the end of the rainbow. As as silly as that sounds, but you know emotions change quickly. Feelings change quickly. You know I know there's a difference between emotions and feelings, but feelings certainly change quickly. And um, thoughts change. And when our thoughts change, our feelings change. And so when we can talk to somebody, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a friend, whether it's a crisis line, when we think differently, we act differently.
1: You are so right, and and the fact that we have some control some control over our thoughts, it feels like we don't have any control over it, but we have some control over our thoughts. And when we start to be able to shift those thoughts, we can shift the feelings that are associated with those, and it just has this cascade effect on um, on our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our behaviors, and our the whole outcome. Everything can shift. So it's not a quick fix. It's not going to solve the problem just like that, but those feelings
0: can change. Right. Feelings can change, thoughts can change. So, you know, and that's the thing that I think is so important for people to recognize, especially if you are listening today and you are having some of these thoughts. They are thoughts. And thoughts can change. And the minute you say them out loud or you speak them to someone, like you've done this, Jessica, you have these crazy thoughts in your head. Mine usually happen like two o'clock in the morning. And I make this agreement with myself what I'm going to do in the morning. Then I get up and I have my coffee and I'm telling my dad or my kids, you know, what I was thinking last night. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) you know, that made so much sense last night and in the light of day it makes no sense at all and uh, oh. and that's my uh, my view of suicide is like in the in the darkness of night in your own head it makes so much sense but then in the light of day you look around you see your kids your family your spouse your parents your dog you know this beautiful world and then it doesn't make sense anymore so we have to be cognizant of our thoughts and how they can change
1: that makes that that is beautifully stated i really do think that that's Uh, right on that it feels like it's going to be forever when you're in that moment, but it's not. Um, and, And if you gave it a little bit of perspective, it will look different. And if, if you're having a hard time turning on that light of day and you're having a hard time getting that different perspective and seeing that thought for what it is, there is. there are people who can help do that. They can help yep. you turn on that light. They can help shine a, a flashlight. As I'm playing on this metaphor, yep. they can help shine a flashlight on that. So it doesn't look like it's going to be permanent and it doesn't look so scary. And you can see how there might be a way to change.
0: Yeah, and that's why we have to talk. That's why we yeah. have to tell somebody, you know, and that's why you have to speak about it because in our own head, in our own thoughts, you know, things that are, absolutely insane can feel normal or can feel the right decision. We've all had this. Everybody's been up at two o'clock in the morning, you know, upset about something, worried about something. And they think, you know, they make this crazy thing in their head. That's how they're going to solve it. They wake up in the morning and everything's changed. Oh yeah. I
1: ran into a problem. Okay. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna move and I'm gonna um, try to buy a new house (laughs) And that's going to fix this plumbing issue that I can't get fixed. So I'm just going to go buy a new house right now. And the next day you're like, wow, okay, that might have been an overreaction.
0: Sure. And that's the thing about our feelings. That's the, the thing about our, our, um, you know, our thoughts, but the thing with, with su- suicidal ideation and some of these things, the more we think about thoughts, the repetitive thoughts we have, the more we train our brain that this is okay. So let's talk for a few minutes about that and about how we have to interject new knowledge in to kind of interrupt that pattern, interrupt that record
1: oh that's perfectly stated yes precisely if once once you start going down this same path and the same thought path over and over again, it builds this rut, and that 's just where your your brain naturally starts ending up and it takes some it takes some intervention to get your you off that track and back out of that rut um, and then you have to start continually getting out of that rut and going into um, a different train of thought, but it can be really hard to do in the moment. That's why we sometimes need
0: some help. Right. And the help can come from the strangest places. Like, you know, I'm a big one of giving, you know, kind of real life analogies. And as a single mom supporting my 86 year old veteran dad and, and, you know, being 3000 miles away from my family, I have this thing, the kids call it Friday cry days. They're like, uh oh, it's Friday. Mom's gonna cry because usually at some point between four and seven o'clock on a Friday night, I start to cry over something, and it could be something broke in the dishwasher. It could be <laughs> while I'm driving, and you know, and it's not like I'm a big crybaby, but but what happens is my thoughts go down, and my son Max, he was the one who identified. He goes, Mom, he's like, you're going down the rabbit hole. It's Friday, cry day, and. I start talking about things and I'll be like, oh, well, you know, w- you know, when, when my mother died and my, you know, and then when I got divorced and I'm like, and I'm going down that story. And that story takes me right down to that rabbit hole till I get to the bottom. And I feel really sorry for myself. And then the tears start to fall. And it's always, oh, yeah. when I'm overtired at the end of the week, I'm like, just trying to get to the weekend with my work day and my kids, and everything's done. And like Friday at seven o'clock, I call the pizza place and they're like, Yeah, our pizza oven's broken. Oh, uh, to make me that's, cry. That's it. That's it. I'm <laughs> done. Done. All I need. Well, and you know, as parents, as,
1: as moms, we've all seen that, right? Like we've seen the, the six year old lose his ever loving mind over something that would nev- never, never phase him normally. And you go, oh, you must be tired. (laughs) Were you up late last night? You know that you're tired. You know that you're hungry. You know that all of those things. And in the moment, it seems like the most rational and logical thing to do is just have a meltdown and throw yourself on the floor. And then if you look at what, look at what you say later, like if you were to record that and look at it the next day, you go, that was dumb. Right. (laughs) That was dumb. That, um, yeah, that didn't make any sense. Normally I'm a pretty logical person, but obviously I had my moment. Um, but it's looking at it from a different point of view and recognizing that you got to set yourself up and set yourself up for success, knowing you got to sleep, you got to eat, you got to do all all the good things. But when you don't have that, yeah, you might, um, be a little bit more
0: reactionary than you normally would be. Right. Well, and, you know, take that to the next level and go, you know, when I I've talked to people who have tried to commit suicide, you know, and that obviously weren't successful because they're talking to me, they said the same thing. They stopped eating. They stopped sleeping. They stopped doing the things that gave them pleasure. They stopped talking to people as they went down that rabbit hole and so some of the things that you could recognize in yourself or your spouse is the not sleeping, is the not eating, is the not doing things that normally bring them enjoyment. Like those are big red flags and I, I'm throwing those big red flags up, you know, like it's NFL season, so I'm going to throw a flag on the plate, but we got moms, you know, who are, who are in that role. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're stressed to the gills. They're handling that single family while the spouse is on deployment. You can't tell me that at least half of those moms haven't thought I need to get out of here. Like, like you said, I move. you know, like move the house because you need to get the plumbing fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to get out of here because there is no relief. That's the other thing is some of these family members have no relief.
1: You are preaching to the choir right now. Uh, Boy, (laughs) do I know that. Um, you know, right now we're in, the, we're in the season of pandemic parenting and um, doing it by yourself, whether you're a single parent or whether you're, your spouse is on deployment or TDY or just not available because they're at work all the time or whatever it is, um, and you don't have those backups, you don't have somebody you can call and, can you just take them for five minutes so that I can go to the bathroom without somebody banging on the door? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, don't know where and, I was going with that, but... No, I mean, there is nowhere to go <laughs> with that. i with you. That, yeah, we're, we're all in that together.
0: Right. I mean, I used to, as a single mom, I have a, I have a big house and it's like the death house. You can fall off a balcony. You can fall down the stairs. You can drown in the pool. You can fall off the cliff. Like, take your pick. There's a way for, like, toddlers to die. Oh, and my so, god. Yes. As a single mom, <laughs> I didn't know this. I bought the house when I was married. And then when I found myself suddenly single, so I resorted to things and, you know... CPS, go ahead and call me. But to take a shower, I used to take my my kids are two years apart. I used to lock them in car seats, prop them up against the couch, and turn on the TV because I knew they were safe. And they were the kind that would stick stuff in each other's ears and you know (laughs) stuff stuff up their nose, pack their head full of dirt. Like they're boys. Like they were young boys, so sticky in the car seat and. And Jessica, I would go take my shower as fast as I could just to give myself five minutes to not have a stroke. I would come down and more often than not, one or both were tipped over (laughs) because they were kicking each other, you know, (laughs) seat over. one falls over to the side. They couldn't fall backwards because I propped them against the couch, but I knew they weren't going to die. Right. Yeah. Those are the things you resort to when there's no one to call
1: i i i hear you i remember coming out of the shower and having my one-year-old with just drenched in syrup i was like i was gone for five he's got the jug of syrup and he's drenched in it sitting on the carpet of course Not, not not on the hardwood floor that's next to him that would have been easy to clean on the carpet just happy as a clam with this little jug of maple syrup and i was like i was only gone for five minutes like Right, lather, rinse, so, and repeat. I'm going.
0: I'm not going to shave. I'm just. I'm not going to brush my teeth. Right, it's going
1: to be a quick one. But yes, yeah. yeah, those not having, um, paying attention to your own uh, red flags. If you, and it seems like the hardest thing at that at that moment, you're like, I just don't feel like eating. I don't feel like going to. I can't sleep, even if I go lay down. I do not feel like going for a walk or exercising or all those things that I know are good for me. I just don't want to do it. Uh, and you, and you eat like the bad for you food
0: instead of right. the healthy stuff. Um, I used to call it my Hoover days because like a Hoover vacuum, because I'd be so tired. I would get my kids fed and then I would just vacuum up whatever was on their plate. <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh because you know it's true.
1: I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, okay, well, I think, guess we're making chicken nuggets for dinner because I'll eat some chicken nuggets once you yep. guys are done. I just can't make another thing.
0: Well, yeah. that's, you know, I need to wrap it up, but Jessica, I want to thank you for coming uh, here before, you know, and being part of, you know, Blue Star families and supporting our military families. You are a military family. And also, most of all, for being so candid. Because I think when moms listen to today's show and they hear about me locking them in the car seat or <laughs> syrup story, oh, like, I thought of that. <laughs> you know, these, well, right now everybody's got a way to keep their toddler safe while they take a shower so they don't have like the syrup disaster. But, <laughs> Even just knowing that there are other people in the same boat is really important. So I thank you. You know, you're like the most candid PhD ever. And I, you know, respect your your acumen. But I also love you as a parent, you know, and as a spouse and as somebody who's really willing to be authentic and real to our population. Um, Great. Yeah, we've well- all been there.
1: Yeah, we that, and that's what's great about that is one of the few silver linings of, of COVID is like we're all experiencing this at the same, it, not in the same way, but we are all experiencing this. So it's good to, it's good, to, a good way to connect with others to know that you're, you've had some of the same struggles that I've had. Um, we are not insulated from these struggles.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back again next week with another great episode.